Welcome to Illumin America, a podcast created by the U.S. Baha'i Office of Public Affairs. Hello, and welcome to the fourth episode of our show. If you're just joining us, we're continuing a conversation with Kate Schmidgall, the founder of Bittersweet Monthly, which is a magazine that seeks to present a counter-narrative to social issues by rejecting cynicism, defying apathy, and celebrating the good. In this second part of our conversation, and please tune into episode three if you want to catch the first part, we're going to be talking about the origins of Bittersweet, how they think about funding, how work in media can be seen as obeying a calling, and we'll even do a little imaginative work in thinking about the future of journalism. Let's join Kate. I want to, you know, take us from this current moment that Bittersweet is in and then go right back to the beginning because I feel like behind every media startup, I think there's probably hours and hours of passionate late night conversations in people's kitchens about, mm. you know, what's going on in, in the media ecosystem or sphere right now. What do we want to contribute that's different? And these conversations, I feel like they give rise to projects like the one that, that you're embarking on with your colleagues. And I'm wondering if you could take us back to some of those early conversations that were had when mm. we were just the genesis of this idea was just sort of mm. uh, just maybe taken root in your mind. Mm. And uh, I want, maybe if you could describe what some of those conversations were like for you and for those who were supporting you and what were they about. Because again, you know, Bittersweet's work in a sense, well not in a sense, definitely, it's, it's trying to fill a void in a way that exists in our current media ecosystem. So maybe those, those early conversations help shed light on that as well. Yeah, uh, that's a lot of history to cover here. <laughs> I should start by saying the vision for what is now Bittersweet is something that you know, I felt begin when I was young, very young, 18. It's why I chose a journalism major and what pulled me into the creative industries world. Um, and it was several years of these conversations before I actually started Bittersweet, you know, in 2009. Uh, and those early conversations were, were difficult because I didn't have the vocabulary or the self-belief mm -hmm. to know exactly what it would look like, exactly what hole it would fill, mm -hmm. or how it would pay for itself or anything like that. And um, I didn't even, when we started, it just felt like the tables had turned and I needed to take steps. However, um, in the very early years, one important conversation was with Amanda Lahr, who was a longtime friend at that point and was working on the Hill handling human rights portfolios for a congressperson. And I remember we sat down at coffee and I just said, I kind of shared the vision mm -hmm. for, for an artistic documentary style magazine mm -hmm. that tells the story of God in the world, mm -hmm. the way that I see it which is this unifying spirit of love, essentially, bringing all things together and restoring. Mm -hmm. And yet wanted to go through all these issues that we needed to reconcile, come to face, truly face, and dig into. That moment where we created this master plan of distilling, breaking the world into regions, and then issues and we came up with four broad themes and that governed our early work mm. we were defending human rights cultivating community development improving public health mm. um, and economic empowerment mm. actually and so everything that we featured fell into those four categories but that was an important conversation because it set our framing mm. 
it clarified for everyone what we would be covering, where we feel the most urgent work is being done. Mm-hmm. But it was <laughs> crazy, mm-hmm. I guess, mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. think that we could begin to wade into all those waters and offer anything of value to anyone. There, there was, we were combating our own cynicism, right. you know? Right. This is definitely our own journey of defying apathy and rejecting cynicism, like played out for everyone else mm-hmm. in a publication. Right, because these things are internal forces as well, right? Exactly. Simply externalized. I mean, it's all, I felt my own fatigue. Mm-hmm. I felt paralyzed by awareness and, mm-hmm. and not empowered by it. And that's a problem I needed to fix for myself. Um, and then kind of brought others down with me. <laughs> or up, I don't know, whichever. Well, 10 years later, that's I'd say one. that's a decisive up. Yeah. yeah. And then there's, you know, another important conversation was it's around how does this make money? We don't have advertising. We don't, no organization um, pays to, to be featured. Mm-hmm. It's all funded by Bittersweet. And in the early, the first half of our life was funded by Bittersweet Creative, mm-hmm. our for-profit agency. Um, but there was a critical moment there halfway through our life where my board, I was like, we need help. Bittersweet needs help mm-hmm. affording this. If we're to do more, we need mm-hmm. help. And so we reached out to our readers and asked just for monthly contributions of anything, $10. Mm-hmm. And some people have been giving since that time, $10 mm-hmm. a month, which is huge mm-hmm. for us. But they also then began a pitch night where they, we built a family of supporters. And that was like, how are we ever going to, how is this ever going to grow if it depends on the net profit of a very small business? Mm. You're sinking both ships simultaneously. <laughs> so that was huge. That was a huge conversation and ended up just catapulting us into a new chapter of excellence and consistency, actually. Mm. Just rethinking so the business model aspect of it? Inviting yeah. help. That was huge. Mm-hmm. And I think that speaks to my own shyness not wanting to ask anyone else to do something that I don't fully understand or don't know how to do myself or you know it's just um shy but it was game it was a game changer strategically but that to say um and I just want to clarify this one point there was never a moment in time where I looked at the media landscape took inventory of everything existing and found a niche that was missing and decided I was, you know, we were going to solve that. It wasn't like that. That's, mm-hmm. that's like an external approach, I mm-hmm. guess, mm-hmm. a strategic plan to solve a market need. Nothing wrong with that, but, but bittersweet is, like I said, was more of a, like an exercise of desperation mm-hmm. to solve a problem inside my own self of fatigue and despair. And the practice of paying attention to choosing to find and pay attention to other things that are life-giving and and light in every community around the world like that has brought me to life so it's it was much more an internal a response to internal need i guess than a response to external need yeah of course and i want i want us if you don't mind to take a minute and do a little imaginative work together oh good i want us to to project into the future and however long it may be in the future. And I want us to imagine a future where the media and journalism as a system, as an ecosystem that we live in, has, has embodied the values that you're trying to learn about through your work. And I want to know what that media system will look like and what it'll take to get there. Mm. Mm. It's a very easy question. <laughs> 
I mean, my mind goes to imagine for yourself, who do you think are the most influential media voices? And then some people, I think, will have very positive voices to point to. Most people will not. They will probably point to the most mainstream channels that focus on general despair. <laughs> or, you know, um, urgent news, also important. Still usually despair. <laughs> like, and so what would it look like for Bittersweet to play at that level with that amount of force and maintaining our intention? There would be a, a TV or streaming, visual streaming presence that both educates on issues and also elevates those leading mm -hmm. in those issues. Mm -hmm. uh, it would be content accessible to children, to those defining their futures in mm -hmm. high school, and those in the professional realm that are leading in advocacy and reform. There, so there'd be a visual content channel that plays at the level of Netflix and Amazon mm -hmm. or any other. There would be a publishing house that champions voices from the margins. And I think there are many publishing houses. They typically have an important slice of the pie. Mm. Like they focus on a particular narrative. If there could be a, you know, a bittersweet version of that, then it would be this global human story. Um, and we would publish books, picture books, mm -hmm. coffee table books, actual issue explorations. But if the system itself were to change, then there would be a way to tell orienting, hope-building, human-centered stories that don't feel like fluff and human interest. Right, right. They're not token and simple. They're rigorous and engaging. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Let's talk about that even a little bit more because I think that's a confusion that many of us in society tend to suffer from is is that uh, confusion between fluff you mm. know the sort of end of the six o'clock news thing you know where it's like a cat rescued and this from a tree cute kid. yeah yeah exactly versus the type of deep hope mm -hmm. that you're trying to get at you yeah. know a joy rather than a mere sort of happiness or titillation or well something. see that's interesting that's a good way to say it mm -hmm. the it is it's like titillation or or this distraction mm -hmm. we we treat positivity or positive stories even as a little distraction from your norm and that's how it's you know at the end of the news hour or whatever it's this right. tiny little hit to give you some uh, adrenaline dopamine belief in humanity or whatever but it's a fraction of the attention and time and effort that went into everything that preceded that little moment what if it were flipped what if what if there was just equal weight given to the way of, like, orienting us toward a way of life that is centered on others and not yourself? That is the dream, I guess. And the, the difference between fluff and rigorous hope, we have to be honest. No one's trying to avoid the issues that mm -hmm. exist in our world and the problems that we face. We're trying to go deeper into them not further away. From. We're not trying to avoid them. It, they are actually where we find greatest hope. You just have to look really hard and spend time in it. And the more you seek, the more you look, the more you end up finding. Even when you start out, it might seem bleak, but there are some truly inspiring 
people and efforts in the DRC. We find a lot of, of life and hope springing up there, even though it's been deep in conflict for many decades. Mm-hmm. So we can te- keep telling that story of the DRC mm-hmm. and dismiss it as dark and difficult, or we can take a second and really ask, where's the life here? And let's all respect that with time and resource and understanding. Mm -hmm. And that reframing is very useful to me because I want to pose this to you. I think that sometimes staying at the level of despair and saying that that's what's real and sort of having this sort of uh, realist approach to the despair that we encounter might be a way of further othering and distancing ourselves from, from the very real kind of pain that's part of this picture that we're trying to contemplate. You know, it's mm-hmm. a way of sort of dismissing it as intractable and therefore um, sort of banishing it from our everyday worldview mm-hmm. and not engaging with it in this deep way mm-hmm. that eventually I feel like you will lead to this hope and sense of joy and purpose and of a, a deeper contemplation of these things. No. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? or? Absolutely. I also think that it's, it's self-preservation in some ways. It's a way to keep yourself isolated from responsibility. The problem is that then you're isolated and you feel disconnected, which mm-hmm. brings us back to our first point, mm-hmm. that being a, a spiritual condition for us in this moment. And so the way to, the, you know, the, the, I think the fear is that if you were to be confronted with the humanity of another then you might feel responsible to that humanity as well. And I think that is the thing that is most necessary and does actually set us free to full life. This interdependence, interconnected, seeing yourself as a part of reality, Mm -hmm. the positive reality. Mm You, you, like we can be, all be connected to that. And the more we're connected in it, then the stronger it grows mm-hmm. and the less foothold the narrative of despair will have in your life and in your heart and in your community. Right. And I think there, are, and I hope that there are probably a lot of brilliant people out there who are contemplating doing something similar to what, what, you've, been, what you've been doing, uh, trying to make that sort of distinctive contribution to media and journalism that's oriented mm-hmm. toward hope, and who are maybe toying with the idea right now of starting something themselves. And so I want to uh, provide an opportunity for you to give these folks advice who might be listening and maybe point out any pitfalls that you might avoid. So for these people, these budding media company owners or vocation obeyers, what would you say? <laughs> Vocation obeyers. That's awesome. <laughs> I love that. It is about obedience. And that's a good word. Mm-hmm. It is about obedience to this this call you might feel, and don't let anything distract you from that. Mm-hmm. First of all, you need to give yourself permission. It's not going to come from anywhere else. Meaningful permission will not come from anyone else. It has to come from within, but then you need to be faithful to that. You know, we, we sometimes wait for funding to give us permission, mm. or we wait for grants or accolades to give us permission. I think you need to create before anyone else gives you the permission to do so. I think that's where you'll find the greatest challenge and the most refining opportunity to mm. really explore for yourself what's inside of you that needs to be expressed. And you'll, you'll get to understand if and how it's a gift to the rest of the world, everything we do should be um, contributing to a virtuous cycle, I think, and mm-hmm. something that 
gives inherently and doesn't take. So give yourself permission. And I would also offer that that sense of obedience to call. Another way to say it for me is that bittersweet is the thing that I cannot not do. It's my cannot not. And others might have a sense of what that is for them, and I just think that's enough. Mm -hmm. That's your permission. Don't stray from it. Mm -hmm. Just keep it front and center. Be diligent. And the sooner you can not worry about if other people see it, if other people understand it, if it resonates broadly, there might be many years when it doesn't seem to resonate at all. But it's in you to do. Mm -hmm. so, so do it. Just mm -hmm. be faithful to that. Thank you so much. That's so beautiful.